This week on The Take, we're marking one year since a pair of devastating earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria with a new digital interactive. Listen and watch stories of survival, recovery, and coping with the grief at aj.audio forward slash earthquakes. Again, that's aj.audio forward slash earthquakes. Al Jazeera Podcasts. European organizations have no plans to ban Israel from events such as the UEFA Football Championships and Eurovision Song Contest, despite its war on Gaza. Why does Israel compete in Europe? And why are European organizations defending its continued participation? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests in London. We have Andrew Feinstein, a writer and campaigner who served as an MP under the former South African President Nelson Mandela. From Ramallah in the occupied West Bank, we're joined by Omar Maguti, the co-founder of the Boycott, Divestments and Sanctions Movement and a founding member of the Palestinian Campaign for the Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel. And also in London, Chris Rose, the director of Amos Trust, a creative human rights organisation that has a long history of campaigning for Palestinian rights. Gentlemen, a warm welcome to you all. Andrew, let's start with you. Should Israel be barred from international competition... Or does UEFA Secretary-General have a point when he says that Israel's war on Gaza and the way it began cannot be compared to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, it's an absurdity from UEFA, um, first of all, because what we are seeing is massive violations of the international rule of law, both in the Ukraine by Russia and quite obviously in, in Gaza by Israel. In fact, what we also have in the case of Gaza is the International Court of Justice suggesting that there's plausible risk, in other words, prima facie evidence that Israel is committing genocide. So I, I think that that was disingenuous at best. But as somebody who was involved in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, who served under Nelson Mandela as an ANC MP, the sports boycott, the cultural an academic boycott, and of course the economic boycotts, were absolutely crucial in bringing an end to apartheid in South Africa. And, you know, we had a phrase in the liberation struggle, no normal support in an abnormal society. So, so when I hear, you know, people saying politics should stay out of sport, clearly they don't believe that because of the way they've treated Russia. But it reminds me so much of, of my friend, of my friend and mentor, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you are on the side of the oppressor. And this is what these cultural and sport bodies are doing at the moment. They are effectively supporting by their position the ongoing genocide in Gaza. Omar Baguti, um, the CEO of Israel's Football Association, says we're against involving politicians in football and being involved in political matters in sport in general. This is picking up on what Andrew was just saying a few moments ago. He said, I'm trusting FIFA not to involve politics in football. But as Andrew was saying, this isn't politics, is it? This is about human rights. It's a moral judgment on whether a country deserves to participate in sport and cultural events. 
Exactly that. Uh, FIFA, as well as the Olympics Committee, both speak about their respect of human rights. It's in their charters, but both are controlled by the hegemonic colonial Western powers that are hypocritical to the core. Israel is indeed very different than the Russian situation because it's a 75-year-old regime of settler colonial apartheid, other than its ongoing genocide for more than four months now against 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. The second point is that FIFA has clubs from illegal settlements in the occupied Palestinian territory. That in itself is a violation of international law, as settlements are considered a war crime under the Fourth Geneva Convention. So in all cases, Israel as an apartheid state, uh, the Israel Football Association as an association that includes settler organizations, settler teams, should be banned from FIFA, and Israel should be banned from the Olympics as well. Chris Rose, Israel insists that uh, it's acting in self-defense after the, uh, the uh, events of October 7th. 28,000 Palestinians have died. It has bombed Gaza indiscriminately. Its actions have gone way beyond self-defense, haven't they? Um, it faces charges of genocide, as we heard from Andrew at the International Court of Justice. Football players and athletes uh, are among the dead. Sports facilities have been destroyed. Does UEFA need a rethink here? Yeah, I think they clearly need a rethink. I think that I'm not surprised UEFA came out with this statement. Um, I think it would be surprising if they took a moral lead without concerted pressure on them to do so. Why do you, why do you Chris, Chris, why do you say that? Well, I think anybody who follows football closely, um, whether it be FIFA or UEFA, um, witnessed something where they very seldom taken a lead uh, morally and on issues such as this. We saw a very quick reaction with Russia, but that was because of a concerted effort from all the world's global leaders and powers, and they responded to that. But with UEFA, to be honest, they haven't taken an ethical lead on most issues, and so it's not surprising here, and it's why it's really important for people to put pressure on them to do so. Andrew, is, is, is Chris right, sporting organisations simply reflecting the political stance of, of the countries uh, in which they, they operate? Well, I think it goes even beyond that. I, I definitely agree with Chris's point. But we must also remember that the administration of football, as we've seen over many, many years now, is deeply, deeply corrupt. And it was FIFA who just a few years ago were very happy to have their president sat next to President Vladimir Putin in Russia as they watched the World Cup in that country. So, you know, basically, we've also just had a World Cup in, in Qatar, which has its own human rights um, abuses, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, these organizations are themselves deeply corrupted, both morally and materially. I also think it's, it's really important to make the point that these are, um, as Omar suggested, you know, these are a reflection of the sort of countries and organizations that are supporting a program of settler colonialism in Palestine that has been ongoing for 75 years. And I trace the sorts of attitudes that they are displaying very, very closely to the sorts of attitudes that were displayed during the worst days of apartheid in South Africa. This is racist white supremacy. Can you imagine the situation if any other country was doing 
to an innocent civilian population what Israel is doing to the people of Gaza. They're simply wouldn't be this sort of accommodation and this attempt to provide not just political and diplomatic cover, but also to provide the weapons from the US, the UK, across Europe that are being used day after day to slaughter innocent Palestinians. So we must locate these attitudes in the sort of racist white supremacy and colonial settler regimes that they find themselves and accept that our countries in, in Europe and North America are supporting this. Omar, you were nodding in agreement there. Do you, do you want to come in on that? Yes, I absolutely agree with what Andrew said. And it's all about also part of this racism that Andrew mentioned is the dehumanization of people of this global South. In South Africa, the absolute majority, the black, brown majority, were dehumanized. And the white supremacist regime was accepted in the West, Thatcher, Reagan, and so on. Similarly, what Israel is doing, its genocide against uh, Palestinians, is tolerated, funded, armed by the same Western colonial powers. And part of that is dehumanizing the Palestinian victims of this system of oppression and this ongoing genocide. The sporting organizations play a role in this because they are entirely dominated by those same colonial powers. So in the Palestinian BDS movement, we've called on the Global South in particular to, to uh, rebel against this Western colonial domination. And if this will not be democratized, whether FIFA or the Olympics Committee will not be democratized, will not truly respect human rights, then an alternative has to be established. Chris, uh, do sporting bodies need more robust policies then on the criteria required to exclude countries from competition? And, and this may sound a, a very naive question, forgive me, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, uh, perhaps an, an independent body that, that considers the facts and, and makes the decision for them so that they don't have to get involved in, in decisions like this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the ideal sense, I think there's so much vested interest involved, though, that it's very, very hard to see that happening. I mean, certainly with FIFA, they're not an elected body as such. And as such, there's very little accountability for most of these groups. And they can largely do as they see fit. Um, and so it's very, very hard for people to hold them account to that. And it's only when we have sort of real force of people standing up to these policies and demanding a change that we see any movement at all. But it really is very hard to get them to be accountable because they really don't need to be. Uh, to what Adrian, extent... If, yeah, yeah, sorry, please, come, come in, uh, Andrew. If I may, I think... I mean, Chris's point is exactly right. These organisations are part of a tiny global elite who operate and utilise sport and culture in a way to effectively enrich themselves. And our politicians are a key component of this tiny global elite. And I think the best thing that we can do as ordinary citizens of the world, wherever we may be located, is to exert as much pressure on, as possible on our governments to actually change their attitude so that there is more pressure put on these completely unaccountable bodies. Look, the reality is our politicians feel pretty unaccountable at the moment as well. But at least in some countries where we have so-called liberal democracy, they still require our votes every now and then. And it's at moments like this 
that we need to put pressure on them. For instance, something we've heard in protests across the world in support of Gaza has been the phrase, no ceasefire, no votes. And I think this applies as much to the way in which organizations like FIFA and Eurovision behave, not only that we should demand our politicians put pressure on them, but we as individuals should stop supporting their forms of sport or entertainment that they produce if they're going to allow Israel conducting genocidal actions in Gaza to freely participate in their activities. All right, all right, let's, let's put that straight back to Chris. To what extent, to, to, picking up on what Andrew was saying, to what extent do sponsors and advertisers have a role to play here? Uh, is it a commercial decision not to bar Israel from competition? Yeah, I think the commercial aspects is huge. I mean, we've just seen Puma withdraw their sponsorship of Israel, the Israel Football Association, back in December. They're saying it's part of a wider economic strategy. Fine, they can say what they like. The reality is they withdrew their support after concerted pressure. Um, I think it's vital. I think it's vital that to the boycott campaign we support that because that puts pressure on these bodies who are going to listen to their sponsors. Their sponsors have far more say than we do as normal people. So we have to influence the sponsors by choosing not to um, purchase and not to support organisations which further these policies. And Chris, I, I, I should have perhaps got to this earlier in the discussion, but, but yeah. <laughs> off, off we went. But why is Israel allowed to compete in European sporting competitions? It's a Middle Eastern country. Uh, why is it in, so important for, for Israel to do so? Why does, it why does Israel consider it important to do so? Yeah, I mean, Israel was a member of the Asian Football Confederation and uh, between about 1954 and 1974. And then they were expelled from that in 74. Uh, they started to compete uh, for the 82 FIFA World Cup with the other European teams. And then gradually... Um, Israeli clubs started playing in European competitions. And then in 94, Israel became a member of UEFA. There's a few other countries which are called trans-global countries, which are members of UEFA. Israel is the only country which is not a member of Europe who's in it. But that's the root as to why it's a part of UEFA and why it's able to compete in the UEFA tournaments. All right, so Omar, picking up on what both Andrew and, and Chris were saying there, how much does public opinion here matter? If football fans would have voiced their anger, would sporting uh, and cultural bodies be forced to rethink? Well, well, I wanted to add to what Chris said about why Israel is part of European sporting organisations. Like apartheid South Africa, apartheid Israel is a European settler colonial creation. That's why they take care of their own, basically, so to speak. But on another point, I wanted to add to what Andrew was saying. Aside from the boycott that we're doing against the companies involved in sponsoring some of those uh, sporting events and sporting associations, the BDS movement supported by 300 Palestinian sporting uh, clubs uh, has called for disruption, peaceful disruption even, of sporting events like the Olympics coming up in, in Paris. We've called not just for 
protests and writing letters and demonstrations, but actual physical peaceful disruption. We Many partners in the BDS movement have been doing disruptions in the Grand Central Station. Jewish Voice for Peace has done excellent disruptions in the Statue of Liberty and so on and so forth. Everyone has seen that. We're asking for the same in Paris so that the powers that be listen to the people that we are not, uh, absolutely, we will not accept a genocidal state participating in those mass sporting events, sport washing their system of oppression. OK, I just want to turn our attention now to the European, uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, I'm sorry. Uh, the European Broadcasting Union, which represents national uh, broadcasters across Europe, had this to say about Israel's participation in Eurovision. Our governing bodies, the Eurovision Song Contest reference group and the executive board, did review the participants list for 2024 and agreed that the Israeli public broadcaster can met all the competition rules for this year and can participate, as it has for the past 50 years. We're aware, it said, of the many voices calling to exclude Israel from this year's competition in the same way as we excluded the Russian broadcaster in 2022 following the invasion of Ukraine. Comparisons between wars and conflicts are complex and difficult, and as a non-political media organisation, it's not ours to make. The EBU is aligned with other international organisations, including sports unions and federations and other international bodies that have similarly maintained their inclusive stance towards Israeli participants in major competitions at this time. Now, that was a statement uh, given to us on behalf of Noel Curran, the EBU Director General. But just under two years ago, after Russia invaded Ukraine, the EBU banned the country from Eurovision and at the time said this about its decision, which it said reflects concern that in the light of the unprecedented crisis in Ukraine, the inclusion of a Russian entry in this year's contest would bring the uh, competition into disrepute. Um, Andrew Feinstein, does, does the EBU statement make sense here? Uh, why would Russia's participation bring the contest into disrepute, but not Israel's? It's a total nonsense. You know, this organisation, which is a, a bunch of broadcasters who, frankly, have absolutely not fulfilled their responsibility as broadcasters in their coverage of Israel's genocidal actions in Gaza. It is those same people deciding they and the people they choose to consult know better than the judges of the highest court in the world, the International Court of Justice. I think what one has to understand is that what they are doing, they're trying to create a, a better PR look for their justification of Israel's assault on Gaza. And Adrian, if I may, and I say this as a Jew, I say this as the son of a Holocaust survivor who has lectured at Auschwitz on genocide prevention, where my mother lost dozens of her family. There is a thread of this extreme racism and genocidal behavior that runs from the Holocaust through apartheid South Africa to apartheid Israel and its brutal and illegal occupation of Palestine. And we are seeing so many organizations like this broadcast union making absolute fools of themselves, destroying the post-Holocaust architecture for an international rule of law to ensure that we never see another Holocaust in order to defend Israel's actions. Their actions are indefensible. 
and the behavior of groups like the sporting bodies and like the EBU are similarly indefensible. They are effectively endorsing and supporting genocide against the people of Gaza. Omar, um, I'm sure you'll have something to add to that. But what do you make of that line in the, in the EBU statement, that it's aligned with other international organisations, including sports unions and federations and other international bodies? To what extent are they all in cahoots with each other here on decisions exactly. uh, to, to implement a ban or not? It's very self-referential. It's, it's, it's exactly as Andrew said, it's a bunch of elite Western powers controlling all these sporting organizations, making all these decisions, and deciding that the Russian invasion uh, brings into disrepute uh, to the EBU in, uh, an inclusion of Russia, yet Israel's genocidal regime does not. It's because Europe is the, the center of the world genocides, whether the transatlantic slave industry, whether it's the colonialism in, in North America, South America, uh, Oceania, and so on, they don't feel that a genocidal settler colony uh, would harm their reputation. Because, you know, who, who's to talk about genocide? The UK, France, the Netherlands, Germany? All of them have been involved in, in several, Spain and so on, they've been involved in genocides. But many of the peoples across Europe are not uh, represented by those decisions. We're seeing already thousands of people calling for excluding Israel from Eurovision. Finland, the state itself, is under a lot of pressure from civil society to withdraw if Israel participates. So is Iceland, in Ireland, across Europe, in Belgium, in the Spanish state, we're seeing a lot of action to expel Israel. And this inspires us. It's not the uh, governments that uh, do not care at all about human rights or international law. They never did. It's the peoples of those countries that are really pushing in the right direction, we think. Uh, and Chris, do you, do you want to come in on, on, on uh, I don't know whether Eurovision is yeah. your thing, but I mean, why Israel participates in the Eurovision Song Contest? I mean, heaven knows, but, but Australia participates uh, 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 as well. Uh, what do you make of, of, of this, this EBU statement? Uh, again, a European yeah, I mean, colony. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I agree entirely with what um, both panelists have said. Um, it's the key thing is what we do about it, I think, for this. There are a number of really kind of courageous musicians and performers who are saying they're not going to perform and are standing up to it. And it's about us galvanizing people and say we're not going to accept it. Um, to expect anything else, I think, would be very naive, but it really does require people to stand up and to put pressure on to say, we're just not going to have this as part of what we call entertainment. Uh, Andrew, I've got about a minute and a half left on the programme here. I mean, what, what happens if there are major protests at Eurovision, if there are withdrawals, if, if, if countries boycott it uh, despite you know, uh, winning a place in the, in the final? Uh, and there's a danger for the EBU here that their stance could backfire and do exactly the opposite. It, the competition will be brought into disrepute after all. Absolutely. I think that the way in which people can most impact this is by simply not tuning in to the football that Israel participates in, to the Eurovision Song Contest or other cultural events, because to do so is effectively allowing these organizations to continue to say that what is happening in Gaza is acceptable. Can you imagine if the same thing had happened after the massacre of over 300 schoolchildren in Soweto in 1976? This is thousands, tens of thousands of times worse what is happening in Gaza. So we should make clear to people 
that if they are going to support this event, they are actually supporting what is happening in Gaza. And we should make it extraordinarily embarrassing for the organizers of these tournaments and of these cultural events, that if they are prepared to play football with and to sing songs with those who are perpetrating genocide, then the vast majority of us around the world, as we did in fighting apartheid in South Africa, will be saying, no, thank you, not for us. We stand with the Palestinian people. And there, gentlemen, we must end it. Many thanks indeed. Andrew Feinstein, Omar Barghouti, and Chris Rose. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Imogen Kimber, Abla Klar, and Gemma Harris. The studio sound was by Mohammed Osman. The program was edited by Manish Mathai, Lynn Guyan, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Saturday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, we take stock of this year's Africa Cup of Nations. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.